0: you have a Bible on your lap, please open it to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, we'll be looking at verses beginning in verse 24 all the way through the end of the next chapter, chapter 19. And if you're new to the Bible, we're very glad that you're here. This is a safe place to learn how to read and understand God's Word. And if you don't have a Bible or an ESV, the version that we use, you're welcome to pull out your mobile device, punch in Acts 18 ESV. Follow along there. We also have print copies available in the lobby for you if you would like one. Grab one anytime. Well, in the book of Acts, we have been tracking the explosive growth of Christianity in the first century world. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that he has reconciled people to God through his death on the cross, is being preached in cities throughout the Roman Empire, and our stop. Last week was in Corinth, coastal Greece, but now we head east. I wish you had a map in front of you so you could see it. East across the Aegean Sea to the city of of Ephesus. And these cities, they should all sound like cities, those of you that read your New Testament, where... Cities to which letters have been written. That's exactly right. This, these churches are being planted where the letters are all going to be written later in the New Testament. Corinth, now we're in Ephesus, west coast of modern day Turkey. God has been very busy. God has been very busy at work in Ephesus. So busy, in fact, that Pastor Eric, when he planned out this sermon series, gave me 46 verses to read and preach to you this morning. That's how busy God has been, about 1,100 words, and I'm going to read them all to you right now. It's going to take me 10 minutes, but listen, you know this sovereign grace church, none of these words are wasted, each one meticulously placed there by God for our good. So without further ado, look with me at your Bibles as I read God's word, Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 24 all the way through chapter 19. I'll read and then pray. Here we go. Verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ. Was Jesus, chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Verse 8, Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Verse 17, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, Verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Verse 21, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together and the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there's danger not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another. For the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Verse 35, home stretch. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you've brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess." If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, who dismissed the assembly. The very words of God, let's thank him for them and ask for his help in understanding them. Lord, we do thank you for the written word. Thank you. And that we have your inspired, infallible words available to us at any time. Thank you for a moment to study these words in particular. We just ask, as the psalmist did, that the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight for the glory of Jesus, for the upbuilding of our church and our faith. We ask this in his name. Amen. Life, Life is a journey. Life is a journey. We've heard this countless times from motivational speakers and inspirational social media posts. I quickly found one self-described leadership coach who wrote, I've heard this, read this like a thousand times, learn to trust the journey. Learn to trust the journey even when you don't understand it. Now, as trite and and over-sentimentalized as some of these quotes are, the thing I find most annoying about them is that they are basically true. (laughs) And our author Luke would agree. We're all on a journey. He uses the word, I don't know if you noticed it, the way, four times in this passage. Real quick, I'll run through them. Chapter 18, verse 25. He, Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Then again in verse 26, they, Priscilla and Aquila, took Apollos aside and explained the way of God more accurately. Then, chapter 19, verse 9, the Christian community is referred to as the way. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. And then, one more time in verse 23, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now, each time you see that word, it's the same word in Greek. A word that simply means a path, a road, a way to get somewhere or to something. Now, in these four instances, is Luke really saying that Christianity is the way? Christians have been charged with saying that, very exclusive. Christianity is. The way there's there's a menu of religions out there but but this is the right one this is the right one the better one i don't i don't think i don't think that what luke is saying is that christianity is the way christianity isn't the way because it's a better religious system it's not like uh, those of you mandalorian fans out there this is the way as if it's just one option among many christianity is the way not because it's a system of belief, but because it recognizes that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. That's the best way I can summarize this long, long, long passage in short order, four words. Jesus is the way. He's the path that we should all be walking on. Where is He leading us? Where will He lead us? Four places from this passage. I want to show you four things that will serve as our outline. I'll give them to you as we go. What exactly is Jesus the way to? Point number one. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the way to God. Chapter 19 Apostle Paul makes his way to Ephesus, and Ephesus was a political and religious center of the first century world. And while there, Luke, our author, makes what appears to be a very unremarkable comment at the end of verse 1. There he found some disciples. Pretty vanilla sentence. There he found some disciples. At first, mention, mentioned, we'd assume these were Christians, right? But, but as the next few verses unfold, we find that actually they were not. Verse 2, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we haven't heard that there is a Holy Spirit. These, these disciples are completely unaware of the promised Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead sent by the Father and Son as a gift to the church. I could take you back to Acts chapter 1 where he's poured out on the church and jesus promised that he would be back in uh, especially in the book of john so confused about what exactly they believed and had experienced paul asks a follow-up question verse 3 and he said to them into what then were you baptized and they said and this is very revealing into john's baptism these are disciples sure but they're disciples of john the baptist not disciples of Jesus. They have not yet come to put their faith into the one whom John was preparing the way for. Paul spots this, of course, and helps them. Oh, he helps them make it there. Verse 4. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is, Paul identifies him, Jesus. John prepared the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. He's he's the path to God. John the Baptist can't get you there. He told you about him, told you about the one who could get you there, but, but you stopped short. You trusted in John rather than Jesus. And I'm here, Paul would say, to help you get all the way to Jesus. And, and God uses Paul to help them get to Jesus, to save them completely. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying the Spirit, who, who is fully God, is now with them. Undeniable proof that they've been reconciled to the Father through their newfound faith in the Son. Now, don't stumble over the tongues and the prophesying. I'm sure you have questions about that. That doesn't happen every time the Spirit comes upon a person or a group of people. But here, the Spirit shows himself. That's what's happened. The Spirit shows himself in these believers by giving them the gift of tongues, which was God-directed personal prayers in an unrecognizable heavenly language. That's what tongues is. And he gives them the gift of prophecy, which really just means boldly declaring truths revealed by God could be foretelling or predictive but not necessarily just be declaring God's truth. The point is it was obvious to those present that something changed in these disciples. The spirit of God was now with them. And God only pours out his spirit on those who belong to him. Every Christian has the spirit. Every Christian has the spirit. If you have believed that Jesus is the way to the Father, then you have the Spirit. He is our sign, our seal, our guarantee, our comforter, our helper, and our teacher. We know that God is with us and that we've been brought back to God because the Spirit is with us. He reveals that to us and reassures us of it. He is the proof that we've been brought back to the Father. But you don't You don't get there by trusting in the Spirit. The Spirit leads you to put your trust in Jesus. The Spirit leads you to see Jesus as the only way. The Spirit reminds you of what Jesus himself taught before his crucifixion in John 14, 6. You know where I stole my point of the sermon from. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you desire to have a connection, a vital connection with God, with the Creator, you have to go through Jesus. If you wish to know that God will forgive your sins and banish your guilt and shame, you have to go through Jesus. If you want to know that God is with us and He's for us, then, then you have to go through Jesus. If you want to experience everlasting life, you have to to go through Jesus. You can't look to John the Baptist, not that you're that tempted to, but pick anyone else, any other teacher or leader or author or spiritual guru or online personality. You cannot trust in any of them to get you to God. Not even your pastors, okay? Don't trust in us to get you to God. We can't do it. We can only do what John the Baptist did and point you to the one who can get you to God, and that is our job. You I, we must have a real and personal trust in Jesus. There's no other way. No other way. Don't bet your eternity on anyone or anything else besides Jesus himself. What are you tempted? What are you tempted to trust in to get you to God besides Jesus? Music. Music. Meditation, nature, books, art, certain kinds of prayers, your own personal devotional life. What are you tempted to get you to God besides Jesus? Look, our sins have so separated us from God and so put us in a position where we deserve God's wrath, the only way to deal with that, the only way to solve that is through the death of Christ on the cross. It's the only way back to God. Put your faith in him alone. Treasure him, Jesus. Treasure him. Trust him, and his father will be your father. His spirit will live with you and help you for Jesus. Jesus himself is the only way to God. Point number two. Jesus is the way to community. Jesus is the way to community. Look back now, end of chapter 18. A Jewish man named. Apollos found his way to Ephesus, similar to the disciples that Paul ends up meeting at the beginning of chapter 19. Apollos' faith is incomplete in kind of a similar way to these other disciples. L- listen to Luke describe him. This is verse 25, chapter 18. Verse 25, he, Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord, the path of the Lord, the road of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately. The things concerning Jesus. Though, here it is, he only knew the baptism of John. It's a little perplexing. He seems to know that Jesus is the Hebrew Messiah. He's arguing that the Jewish scriptures identify Jesus as the Savior. He's very passionate about it, or he's fervent in spirit, is the phrase that Luke uses. But something's missing. Something's missing. He seems to have missed the great commission, been around, Matthew 28, the end, that we're to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's only received the baptism of John the Baptist, which means there's something important missing in his faith. And how to put our finger on what exactly that is is kind of challenging. I think we can, we can stop short of trying to pinpoint it. There's just something missing, but here's, here's, here's the payoff. The Lord hasn't left him without help. Provides a supplement to, to, to his faith to teach him. Verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Ah, it was a sweet moment where where God's, God's people are often his provision. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I'm sure you've experienced that. I certainly have. God's, God's people are often his provision to us. Now, Priscilla and Aquila aren't the only ones the Lord sends to encourage him. Ne- next verse, verse 27, and, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, so he's in Ephesus, he's crossing paths with Paul, he's going back to Corinth, that's where Achaia is. The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed. get to see the interplay of the community of Christ in this passage in a really wonderful way. Christ, Christ creates a community. When you're united to Jesus by faith, you're united to his people as well. You're united to the people that he's united to, right? It's kind of like when, when you get married, your spouse's family becomes your family, and if you didn't know that, well and you're thinking about getting married, just watch out, okay? That's just quick and dirty advice there. You unite to somebody, you're united to the people they're united to as well. When we get Jesus, we get his community too, his church, his people, and it's a wonderful gift. A wonderful gift. People. People who know the Savior and love the Savior. People who know us and love us and want to help us know and love the Savior. We all want to belong to a people. None of us really want to live off the grid in a cabin out in the middle of nowhere by ourselves. Except Ron Swanson. But, but that, he's it. And he's a fictional character. The rest of us need a community. okay? People to be counted among. To be accepted by to be cared for, and loved by, and, and to love back in return. We need a people that we can work alongside, towards similar goals, with similar passions. And the only lasting community, oh, every other community comes to an end, the only lasting community is the church of Jesus Christ. Every other human community will end, but Jesus established, he's building his church right here, he established it to exist forever, to exist forever. And the only way to get in, the ticket in, the golden ticket, is to believe in the one who is the head of the church, right? Jesus is the way. He is the way to experience the richest and deepest community. I think for us, the Sovereign Grace Church, oh, this, this bears repeating because there's so much about our church to love that we could get distracted. It's important to remember that what's special about our church is our Savior. What's special about this church is Jesus. Okay, as fun as it's going to be to do the chili cook-off in just a few minutes, and I'm sure your tummies are rumbling, you're waiting for me to finish so you can get out there and start sampling chili, as fun as that's going to be, that's not what makes our church special. And that's not what holds us together. Having shared experiences like that, fun as they are, is not what holds us together. What holds us together is our common bond of faith in Jesus. And we don't need to focus on community as a thing to have a rich community life. We don't. We need to keep our focus on Him. And as much as each of us holds fast to Him, oh, then we will hold fast to each other as well. If we keep our attention on Him, He will ensure the health and stability and growth of our church. He himself is the only way to a healthy and lasting community, just like the one we're reading about here. Point number three: Jesus is the way to power. Jesus is the way to power. Verses 11 and 12 of chapter 19 contain some of the most interesting statements in this passage. Look with me, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons—some of you are probably going to be wearing aprons in a little while. I don't think they're as special as these ones— Even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, all right. This verse, verses, these verses have been abused in all kinds of ways, including by some prosperity gospel preachers. A quick Google search turned up a story by a gentleman who received a letter in the mail. Here's what he found inside his letter in the mail. Quote, it contained printed materials... Filled with images and quotes discussing the power of the quote, holy, blessed, powerful, prosperous, biblical handkerchief that can work miracles. And this guy's blog post had pictures of said materials <laughs> holy, blessed, powerful, prosperous, biblical handkerchief. Now, the only way to read this passage and think that we should all be out looking for or using our faith to make our own miracle handkerchiefs is to skip over the first phrase of verse 11. First phrase. And God, God was doing extraordinary miracles. This is not about Paul, and it's not about the handkerchiefs. Okay, not at all. This, the, you should read those details and just skip right over them and kind of be like, wow, I can't believe God even used a handkerchief to, to show his power on earth, which that's exactly what happening, what's happening here. God is showing his power on earth. The medium is not that important. For reasons known only to God, he decided to do miracles through Paul's garments. I don't know why he chose to do that. His unsearchable wisdom, it's up to him. But the point, the point is to get our attention on God. For God, God has power that we can only dream of. He has power beyond what we dream of. And of course, as humans come in contact with that power, they, we want it for ourselves, don't we? To further our own ends and goals rather than God's. But, but God, God won't be mocked. Look, look, look what happens to those who try to make use of God's power for themselves, for their own purposes. Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, and it's such a funny phrase, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. It shows you that they don't know Jesus. They don't know him. They know that he's some guy that Paul talks about. They don't know him. They don't believe in him. And they don't want to. They simply want his power to prop up their ministry. So God uses an evil spirit to put them in their place. Verse 16. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, (laughs) mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Well, that's got to be a humbling end. Not the end they were hoping for in this moment. Quite a humbling end for sure. And it would be... uh, It would be interesting if that was the end of this scene, and then all of a sudden it cuts to the scene at Ephesus. But look, God God doesn't let his power go to waste at all. Look, Look at what he uses this strange scene to accomplish. Next verse, verse 17. And this, this strange thing became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them. It came to 50,000 pieces of silver, bunch of money. Verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God used this strange episode to save souls, if you can believe it. And to purify Christians, right, as they repented of their own desire to use power inappropriately, which is them sacrificing all their books about magic arts. God's power isn't for sale. God's power isn't for sale. The name of Jesus isn't a magic spell, okay, that you can just use to conjure something. It's not a magic spell. You have to actually believe in him. You have to actually want to serve him. You have to actually faithfully share his gospel, and when you do, oh, you'll see exercises of his power in you, and through you, and you should ask God to show His power again on earth. We have a great song from the Gettys called Holy Spirit, and that is one of, the, one of the prayers in that song. Show your power once again on earth. We should ask God to do that. We should expect Him to. God uses His power for His purposes, though. Not ours. He uses His power for His purposes, namely, to spread the fame of Jesus Christ into. Ignite faith in hearts. And if we join God in His purposes, since He uses His power for His purposes, if we join Him in His purposes, then we should expect to see His power. We want to see it here, my friends. We want to have faith to see God exercise His power among us. He is. A room full of people listening to a, a sermon based on 50 verses is a sign that God's power is at work in you. His power is at work in this room. And may it be so more and more as his purposes prevail among us. Jesus is the way to real power. Point number four, final point. Jesus is the way to peace. Jesus is the way to peace. Peace. This final section of chapter 19 details a riot, really a near riot, in the city of Ephesus. As I'm sure you notice, Ephesus housed the temple of Artemis, and one author described the goddess Artemis like this. She was the goddess of the hunt and wild animals, as well as the goddess of women. She protected women in childbirth, protected young girls, and brought relief to women in need. Artemis was the goddess of fertility and life. She's described as one of the most worshipped gods during this time. She was very popular. In fact, her temple in Ephesus, for a long time, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Gigantic temple. And in verse... 24 and following the silversmith in town Demetrius speaks of her significance he makes shrines to her for a living and i guess not a bad job back then he perceives though that the preaching of the gospel and the growth of Christianity is a threat to to his religion and to the local economy and he's right it is look look at what he says beginning in verse 26 and you see in here that not only in Ephesus but in almost all of Asia Worship. Demetrius and and those who rioted alongside him understood that the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, has implications. The gospel proclaims that there's only one God, not many. The gospel proclaims that the things that that you naturally love and trust have put you on a path to death and judgment. The gospel proclaims that, that you and I and everybody else should abandon every pursuit in our lives and give ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, body and soul. That's why they rioted. They rioted because they understood the claims of the gospel. They understood the claims of the gospel. You can't be neutral to the gospel. They they saw Jesus and his truth as a threat to their very way of life. If his gospel is true, if the Christian gospel is true, then we can't worship however we want. We can't spend our money however we want. We can't work however we want or spend our leisure time however we want. If the gospel is true— And I believe it, then my life belongs to Jesus. And everything I do becomes subject to Him. Oh, these these Gentiles understood that. Sadly, many of them don't believe. That's why they riot. That's why they have no peace. They refuse Jesus, and they're confused. Notice how Luke kept saying it. They're confused. They don't even know what they're really upset about. They're confused. They have no peace. But for those who have made peace with God through Jesus and have settled that our lives belong to him, and that that's a good thing. Oh, It's good to belong to Jesus. It's good to, good to know that Jesus is the way to all the things we most deeply need. And we have peace. We follow his path toward everlasting life. Even though that path may lead us through some temporary suffering. Temporary suffering on the way to eternal life. Though the world riots around us, and it does and it will, Jesus leads us on the path of peace. Look, our hearts, our hearts can be calm in a world of chaos because we know the path that Jesus has us on. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid to lose anything in this life because what we've gained through Jesus is so much better. The world can't rob us of anything that really matters. Oh, taking that deep into your soul. That's the way to peace. Jesus is the way to peace in our souls. And one day, he'll bring peace on earth. One day, there will be no more riots. Jesus is the way to peace. Later on in his ministry, the Apostle Paul would write a letter to the church that was planted in Ephesus. Here's what he would write about the way of Jesus, the the path that Jesus has us on and where it's going. Here's what he writes In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, Paul writes, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory if you're a christian that's the path that you're on you're on a path to an inheritance it cannot be taken away can't be diminished you're on a path filled with praise to the glory of the grace of Jesus Christ, who's given you many undeserved blessings and spared you from many punishments that you deserved. And that's the path that you're on. Path to the glory of the grace of Jesus. It is the right path, it's the best, best path, and it is a path that we thank God that we're on because we would not have been on this path had he not rescued us from the road we were walking to those here this morning who aren't Christians who aren't following the way let me just ask you what way are you on what path are you walking down? If it's any way but Jesus, let me warn you, it will end in disaster. Today is the day to take Jesus at his offer, hear his gospel, his good news ringing in your ears. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you will turn Get off the path that you are on and believe in Him. You will experience life today and forevermore. So believe in Him. Receive from Him and you will have all you need for today and for eternity. Jesus is the way. Follow Him into life. We pray that you would. Lord, thank you that you have rescued many of us from the path that we were walking down, a path to destruction, judgment, and death. There really is no one like you, Lord, who would be so merciful and so kind and would put himself in the path of God's wrath so that we could be spared from it, to take all the pain that we deserved on account of our unfaithfulness and our wickedness. Be treated as a curse in our place. There's no one like you, Lord. We thank you. And I do pray, Lord, that that those today, those here walking the path towards destruction, that you would reveal to them powerfully, clearly, that Jesus is the way, the way to everlasting life, the way to peace with God the way to fellowship and community. Jesus is the way. Would you awaken that faith in those among us who have not yet tasted the the grace of Jesus? Lord, as we respond to your word with singing, would you fill our hearts with gratefulness that we would be happy to sing to the glory of your grace? for we are. So bless us again as we sing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.